Armando Ruiz. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. That's awesome. Let's start with some icebreaker questions. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Hundred percent. Cream and sugar, black. What's your What's your favorite way to take caffeine? Cream and sugar, vanilla, vanilla cream. Not cream. sugar, but uh, let me see. What's the yellow packet? Slenda. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. It depends on what restaurant you go to, it, but it's always yellow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, all right. What's your go-to prayer? I think, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. There you Holy go. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory Amen. be to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. <laughs> Is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. That's, That's a good combo. Yeah. It's complete. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. No. Um, Not at all. What saint would you like to have a drink with? Uh, probably none of them. <laughs> But who, who would I like to sit down and talk with? And There we go. Um, I think probably... St. Francis Xavier. Mm. Okay. And only because they say that, uh, you know, the tradition is that he baptized more than one million people. And you think about that, calculate that. If you, if you do the math on that, you go like, okay, say he becomes a priest at age 25. Okay. And then he's a priest. Well, the, the, from what I understand, he died, let's say 45 around that age. So 20 years as a priest. If you're baptizing a million people, then you've got to be baptizing, what, uh, 50,000 people a year? Wow. That's a lot. Isn't that? That's Isn't a huge that? average. His yeah. numbers were did, off the charts. Did, did he do we, it we like do baseball cards? Well, yeah. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Even if he did it as a group, it's like 50,000 in a year. You're talking about, uh, you know, 52 weeks. You know, you're talking about maybe 10,000 people a week. That is wow. a lot, a lot of people. That's a lot yeah. of people. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's pretty amazing. And that means you got to be no, moving. Learn more about it. Yeah. yeah. You got to be moving around. You got to be, uh, even to get to large groups to baptize them, they'd have to trust you as a large group. That's harder mm -hmm. to do than individuals. I bet, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a great fact. I didn't know that about them. Yeah. So I think it would be really, really fascinating to sit down and go like, okay. How do you talk. do it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Last one. Does pineapple belong on pizza? I'll give you I I'll give you a little story on that. We were one time in a, a missionary house in Birmingham, England. We had a missionary house there for years. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, we were all jet lagged, so it's like found a pizza place that was open at 2 a.m. in the morning. And we go like, okay, who wants what? There was like five Americans and one Latin American person. And he wanted El Hawaiano. <laughs> and we wanted pepperoni and, and pizza. And we go like, okay, let's go. We ordered it. We get there. We get back to the, you know, we get there, pick it up. Then get back to the missionary house. Everybody's hungry, ready to go. We open up the boxes, 
and they, they had, are all Hawaiian pizzas. They the large pizza for the five people was Hawaiiano <laughs> pineapple <laughs> on pizza, and the small one for five people is pepperoni. <laughs> we wanted to. I think that was the answer. Pineapple does not belong on pizza. There you go. Yeah, it's, it, it divides people for sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Just like the topic that we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, yeah. um, for, for for those that don't know you, Armando, can you give us a little bio about yourself? Yeah, you know, uh, God bless me to be able to enter the legislature when I was a very young man. I was 25 years old when I got elected. You think the youngest Latino ever elected in the Arizona legislature? Mm -hmm. Spent eight years in the House, um, spent two years in the Senate, and then um, I worked two years under Republican governor as an executive assistant. And then uh, God called me a really different path. And I just finished, uh, you know, and actually the Governor Ducey appointed me to the State Board of Education about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Just finished that term several months ago. So, you know, I guess I never thought, I, well, I didn't think I'd, I'd uh, I know I won't do the politics again running only because that's not what I feel like God is calling me to do now for some time. But I think it's really important for Catholics to, to run for public office and be involved in politics. I tell people I'm probably more involved in politics than ever before, but you know, I'm not an elected official. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. And Armando. We, we international uh, ministry, you know, we have lay group uh, missionaries of Mary in a lot of different countries. So I think that's been the most fulfilling part. I think God, that's why I left all that because God called me in a different path. That you're still uh, very involved in the diocese, though, right? In terms of like your, uh, well, let, let's 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 um, hold that thought. Armando was one of my interviewers when I went into uh, Tepeyac leadership. Um, he was the one that asked the really tough questions. He was not holding back any punches that day. Okay, well, what did he? Ask he was a good cop, bad cop kind of thing, and he was there were two good cops, and he was like. Gonna get this guy. What did I ask? <laughs> I know. I, I guess, um, like the, I think there were two ladies, if I don't, if I remember correctly, and you, and the two ladies were very like, oh, uh, where's your parish? You know, it's like, um, it's like very, very like softball questions, right? And is <laughs> like, what is your definition of marriage? You know, right off the bat, he did like. Like right off the bat. Hey, man, you got to get the the weed from the champ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I appreciated that a lot, you know, but he was like, he was like poker face. He's like, boom, you know, <laughs> like, okay, good. You're a lawyer, sir. Or <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Did I have it was... you raise your right hand and, uh, you know, put your left put hand on, on the, the Bible. Bible. And... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to say it, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It, the it truth, didn't, so it didn't get to that, but I, I was wishing for a Bible right there and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Okay, That's well, funny. yeah, you got yeah, in, right? You got in, yeah, yeah. And and again, I was, 
I was really lucky to have you both, both like as an interviewer and as a speaker, you know, and, and TLI always like uh, talk about it here in the podcast that it was one of the formative moments in my, in my faith, because then I really got uh, exposed to the, the reality of what's going on in the world yeah. from, from every perspective. You know, I was, I think I was very, coddled in that way that I went to men's retreats and I was like really diving into my faith with my family, but it was very, very compact. You know, my circle of friends were all pretty much doing the same thing as I was, you know, raising a young family, really being enlivened and, and inflamed by, by our Catholic faith at that point. Then when, when it came po the time to go to TLI and started listening to the different topics and the different talks and, and people like yourself with like vast expertise in all these different areas, it was really eye-opening, you know, it was really eye-opening and, and it really kind of like led me to started, started to get more involved in different aspects. It was like, okay, what, what else can I put my God-given gifts in the service of, you know? Well, I think that's why um, I think we have to ask the hard questions. Mm -hmm. And as Catholics, and it's okay to ask the hard questions. And we should we should be not in a, not in a I think an unpleasant way, not in an unkind way, but seeking the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, truth sets us free. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to be kind of like the topic for, for today, you know. And, and one of those things that we were very exposed to when we were doing some of those sessions was the reality of uh, the political landscape. Right? It is said that at a dinner party, you should never bring up politics or religion. So we're going to break both of those rules here tonight because we're going to talk about exactly that. You know, so it's it's obviously no surprise that it politics right now. It's it's a, our country is very divided when it comes to the political landscape, um, and and us having you over in the podcast is not meant to sway people one way or another. You know, in terms of like where they stand, um, it's 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 about trying to talk about these issues as Catholics, you know, our intention of having you on is to get people informed, you know, with the upcoming midterm elections, um, I think people need to get informed and exercise their right to vote uh, and responsibly, right? Not just go and do it nilly willy. Both Walter and I became citizens recently. And I think I've been a citizen for like two, three years now. And Walter, uh, it's a little newer, but we're both Seven pretty months. much... Yeah, we're both pretty much rookies, you know, you. and when it when it comes to uh, uh, this is going to be your first election, Walter, you participated? Wow. Uh, yes, um, hopefully it's uh, there was a mix up with my application for registering as a voter. So I don't know if it's going to get in time for me to vote in the midterm, mm. but hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, but we're both very in tune with how things run. No. Yeah. Now, like I now, with all the packets come in the in the mail of like the voter guide and all that, it's like, well, guess I have homework now. <laughs> um, I mean, not that I didn't read them before, but I was like, 
helping my wife with those like difficult questions like who do you vote for mm-hmm. what does this person's agenda is what this other candidate's agenda is um and i i think especially coming from from mexico and living in the states for now 10 years um i always thought that getting involved in politics was not something that we should do as catholics but bishop olmsted with um Catholics in the public square. It's kind of like the 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 answer to that question that I had. That I guess it was like a wrong presupposition of we shouldn't be involved because of the division of church and state, which is not what I thought it was <laughs> completely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I, I guess yeah. Go well, ahead. let's tackle this. Let's, let's tackle that 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 terminology. Mm-hmm, yeah. The separation of church and state. And, you know, where it comes from, uh, it comes from Thomas Jefferson. And interestingly enough, you're never going to see that language in the Constitution. It, hmm. it came out from a letter that he wrote. Uh, he wrote it to uh, a Baptist church. I think it was a Baptist church. It was a, a, a church group that had, you know, gathered. And in, a, in that letter is he makes that reference, the separation between church and state. But you're not going to see that in the Constitution. In Constitution, you know, basically, it's like you have the first, I think, seven articles that tells you here's the structure of the government. You mm-hmm. have executive, that means president or, go- or governor in the state level, president on the federal level. You have the legislature, which is the Senate and the and the Congress on the federal level, and equally, you have on the state level, you'll state have level. a Senate and a House, or has different, maybe have different name but bicameral houses, two, two houses. And then you have the third part, which is the legislature or the judicial. And the judicial, they uh, analyze laws and make them relevant to that particular case or time. Mm-hmm. Those are judges. You have federal judges and you have state judges. Same level, you'll have a you know, first level of, and then you have an appeals court, and then you'll have... Uh, a Supreme Court. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the way the Constitution first articles, seven articles, I think it was. And then from there, you had this uh, amendment. They said, well, we got it's not enough. It's not answering enough questions. So then they did these 10 amendments and they call them the Bill of Rights. And mm-hmm. guess what number one was? You know, number one is the what's called the Establishment Clause. And it just basically says that the government can't establish an official religion. And then it's also the free exercise is that you have the free exercise. Uh, you freely have the right to exercise your religion. Mm-hmm. And that's amendment number one. It never said anything that you have to separate church and the state. That was Thomas Jefferson's his in a letter that he wrote. Um, so I think sometimes what happens is it people confuse them and say that's in the constitution. It's not in the constitution. Mm. Well, that's a very interesting distinction because I feel like that's the argument that gets thrown around the most when someone tries to talk about maybe something that is a moral issue that has a, um, let's say, I don't know, I don't know how to put it in better words, but let's say that, um, there is a guidance from the Catholic church on a moral teaching that we are trying to 
have in a society to to be something that is followed. It's not necessarily that we are asking everybody to be Catholic and go to mass every Sunday, but it is something that is of for the good of the society and it's a moral uh, and it's a good moral thing to do as a society then it doesn't matter what religion you practice basically mm-hmm. yeah so why would somebody tell you hey separation church and state why would somebody tell you that no because you may be voicing your opinion on a matter that like a school or something well they shouldn't be doing the uh they shouldn't have drag queens in the classroom or no or or maybe it's the not morally the, right or abortion yeah. is a, is a quick one that you know is going to get you into that separation of church and state when like people yeah. should decide their it's their body their choice right is a classical one well, that you're going to say it, yeah and you're hitting on it both of you are hitting on it it's when when someone disagrees with you and they don't want you to talk anymore Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, we talk about the, famously in right now the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a culture that if it disagrees with what you have to say, they cancel you. Mm-hmm. And so then people disagree with what you're saying. And a way to stop you from saying what you're saying is, hey, you're violating separation of church and state. We don't even know how to, we don't even know how to respond that well, that's not even the constitution. Yeah. You tell me tell me where it says, you know, that there's a separation of church and state. Most people, you know, 99 out of 100 won't know and and because we don't know, we don't even know how to get past that first argument. So mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. you have you're saying something, I disagree with you and I want to shut you up. <laughs> I just don't want to hear what you have to say, so I'm going to start with hey, you know, separation of church and state. And your reaction probably is going to be what? Walter? I disagree. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it is very interesting. When Roe v. Wade was um, overturned, I had very, I don't, I don't want to say heated conversations, but people that I have worked with, in, I am in IT, so very secular uh, environment. Uh, and they know that I'm Catholic because I'm openly Catholic in the workspace. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly mocked because of that. But, you know, trying to, to be a light everywhere and um, not backing down. When it comes to defending a life is a life, doesn't matter if it is, uh, it had just been conceived and it's just like, um, two days of pregnancy versus nine months of pregnancy. Um, we couldn't get to agree on when life begins. That was one thing. Um, the other thing is that they were bringing to the conversation all of these edge cases, abortion, incest, um, rape, rape, malformation, um, Down syndrome, all of these things that how it is a kid is a burden for people that are poor, this and that. Um, and, you know, the classic argument, Catholics only care about the babies that are in the womb, but they don't care about the kids once they're out of the womb. And working with um, First Way Pregnancy Center, I know from personal experience that that is not the case. There are a lot of uh, 
pregnancy centers in Arizona and across the United States that provide way more uh, help for families, for women. So they started doing ad hominem attacks, just mm -hmm. just saying like, the church has done this. It's, it got way off topic. <laughs> uh, going to, you know, mixed bag of like the Inquisition, the Crusades, uh, Galileo. You probably have heard all of those before that, but the political side of it, the the, the, the uh, division of church and state, I'm like, okay, yes, but say that a life starts a conception is not a religious view. It's a scientific fact. But then again, we are seeing this, well, the science has changed. So now is a relat relativism mm -hmm. um, that is just like making everything murky. And most times I get the sensation, the feeling that people don't want to have discourse. They just want to shut the other person down mm -hmm. and have them to shut up. And so then in that environment, there is politics. And in this environment of sharply divided views, then how does politics work within that? And as a Catholic, how do you, how are you a Catholic in the public square? Because yeah. the public square is, you know, it's the public. Mm -hmm. And we have a way that we believe faith. And then you have what can be a non-faith perspective, a non-religious perspective balanced against a religious perspective. Now, what's, what's right and what's wrong? I think ultimately the question is, what's right, what's wrong? Yeah. And politics by its nature, is that what's right or wrong is determined by the majority rule. Hmm. Whatever the majority that votes, whatever they decide, it's right or wrong. And, but does it make it intrinsically true? Not necessarily. Nope, not at all. Exactly. And so then as Catholics, we don't know how to provide that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we feel uncomfortable in the public square, because we just don't know. We get shut down real quick. And we just don't know how to we don't know how to be Catholics in the public square. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to formation, right? I mean, it goes back to knowing knowing our faith. It's it's about. Not only living it, but being able to understand it ourselves so we can explain and we can bring others to the truth, as you were mentioning it, right? And I think the separation of church and state, from what it says in the document, uh, um, Catholics in the Public Square by Bishop Thomas Olmsted, which is one of the best documents, you know, that I think I read in, in, in that program. And if you haven't, I encourage you to go read it. It's free on the uh, Phoenix Diocese website. Um, that it says the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, of course, does not advocate for separation of church and state at all, but rather the protection of religious freedom. So they are 
the, the purpose of that is to protect religious beliefs from the state infringing on them. It's backwards as how the majority of people would understand that statement. You know, and I think that's a blanket statement because they just they'll just like throw it out there hoping that you don't know what the actual truth is. Yeah, you know, uh, Bishop, he referenced in that uh, the document Lumen Gentium. And, Lumen Gentium. Uh, you know, people, people of uh, have lied. Uh, and I know I'm probably saying that incorrectly. But we're supposed to be light to the world. Mm-hmm. And if we're supposed to be light to the world, ask yourself, why? Why am I supposed to be light to the world? Because we're called to be holy. Mm-hmm. In that document, it says, lay people we're called to be holy and so then the next question is so what is holy mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong and in this world where it seems like what is right is wrong and then what is wrong is right well how do we navigate through that yeah and how do we how do we arrive what is truly right and what is truly wrong and because we don't because there's a lack of formation. And I would say, you know, all the way through, not just among lay people, but I think even, you know, I think in catechism, I think mm-hmm. in uh, in church circles, we don't put enough emphasis on, you know, formation mm-hmm. and knowing what is right, challenging ourselves. What's right? What's wrong? And in that challenge of, of what is right and what is wrong, and not being afraid to go into a world that's going to challenge you. All your friends, Walter, when they tell you, hey, you know. Uh, let's you know, pick the on the Catholic. Well, yeah, well, let's pick on the Catholic. Now, so how do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. And and we don't know how to respond to that. And it's for me, I always try to go back to what the roots. If I'm going to be uh, a Catholic in the public square, so what is politics? Well, Politics is, you know, it's the art of influencing others to to do what you think is right. Hmm. And so then I have to have a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong as a Catholic. And the church, we have to do a better job in catechesis. What's right? What's wrong? And why, right? And well... Why? Because we're meant to be holy. Why am I meant to be holy? Because I'm a child of God, created in the image of God. God is holy. And if I'm created in the image of God, then he wants me to be holy. And so, okay, so what's holy? What's sin? Sin is an obstacle to that. And if if there's a good catechesis, now I can be an effective Catholic in the public square. Mm-hmm. If you don't have, if you have poor catechesis, you know what? Better be quiet. Be a bad Catholic <laughs> because you're going to do more damage. You're, oh you're, my goodness! Dumb stuff like you know. Well, I'm a really devout Catholic, but uh, I really strongly support uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was going to make that point. It's contrary, that, you know how how do you? I mean. We, I, th- I think that we are living in a very, very unique time in, in, in history, and I mean, I mean, saying that because I'm alive, and other people that are dead cannot claim that. But um, we are divided here 
as a country in terms of like what we think is right or wrong. But then if we look within the church, there could also be division within the church. And, you know, if we take a look at, you know, the, the latest scandal that we saw with the, the post on Instagram from the, the synod, right? Where there are some scandalous things that are being uh, infiltrated, I would say, from the Vatican. We have, <laughs> I don't, might be a, like a distraction from the enemy so that we are not in, in, in unity, so that we are scrambling to say, cleaning our own house and say, this is what we stand for as the Catholic Church, and then going out, because then, you know, someone that doesn't know anything about the Catholic faith and sees that image is like, oh, the, the Catholic Church is finally coming into the times and, you know, is getting with the times, which is not necessarily what hopefully is not where this is going. But um, in an age of rampant relativism and a lot of isms, how do we keep sanity in, in trying to having that uh, North star that is Jesus Christ to, to lead us to, to the truth. Like you said, what is right? What is wrong? What are we trying to do? Um, do, do you have any, any advice? Because yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like, it's enough to make your head spin, right? Well, it is, you know, it's like you talked about all the males that you get the mail, the, that come to your house about vote yeah. for this guy. Vote for that guy. Yeah, yeah. So how do you know what can to vote for? You know, you say you sit with your wife and you kind of go through the issues, you go through the candidates, their statement. What you're trying to find is, well, what's, what's true, what's false. Mm -hmm. And in that going through that, I think it's the same thing, you know, uh, there are universal truths. And so as Catholics, we know there are universal absolute truths. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. uh, in every society, it's wrong to murder somebody. Right. It's a universal absolute truth. We know it's, it's wrong to murder someone. Okay. Now, we know then that, the, that they're absolute truths, but we have to be able to convey convey that in a loving way now go to the to the synod so you had the you had the u.s uh, statement that was put out and you what you're going to find in politics and this is where catholics get shut down all the time the first two issues out of the out of the box are what's going to be the abortion issue and the lgbtq plus issue and as catholics we don't know how to respond to that and because we don't know how to respond to that, the art of politics, the art of being able to influence a world to believe as we believe, to share those absolute truths, we're unable to do that because we're unable to, to handle those two uh, arguments. And I would right. maintain that always done with great deal of love. Always <laughs> share absolute truths with a great deal of love. Now, if, if we do that, now we're able to move on to what I'd call the second set of issues, but we never get to the second set of issues because we get we get shut down here. And I think that you know the uh, the the church that we have to figure out a way of how to respond to I think the LGBTQ plus issues, 
I think sometimes too caustic. We don't do it with a lot of love. I think we don't handle the transgender issue uh, well. Transgender, uh, you know, uh, gender dysphoria. We do, we don't know how to answer that. We just don't even know how to uh, start with that. And because mm-hmm. we don't, then people go, "Oh, you see, Catholics, you know, we're shut down." And then yeah. we we stop. Mm-hmm. And then from there, then we never go on now to what Pope Francis is asking. And he's saying, look, as we used to go, the non-negotiables were, you know, the certain issues, mm-hmm. and you know, that marriage between a man and wo- uh, uh, woman, woman, life yeah. from uh, moment of conception to natural, natural death, death. Yeah. and euthanasia. And I, there, there's something else, uh, uh, eugenics. Bioethics. Yeah. Bioethics, excuse me. And so then, but now Pope Francis says, hey, there's a fifth one here. And that fifth one is that dignity of the person. And within that, he you know, includes the whole issue of migrants. Hmm. And so the people go like, hey, wait a minute. I was with you on the four. Now, I don't know about the fifth one. <laughs> and you know, I think that's what you're talking about is, you know, that div- that internal division. And I, I, I think that what's truth, what's holy. Yeah. How do we do I, with what, with love? Mm-hmm. As you mentioned that fifth one, like the dignity of the person, I think should be at the forefront of everything that drives. Exactly. Us, right? Because we're called to uphold the dignity of the, of the human person, even if they disagree with us. Um, and one point that I was thinking while we were talking about all these things is that um, more of a question, would you say that um, being from a, a, a Latino background or Hispanic background would, would sway a person to vote for something that is convenient for that person um, rather than voting with their Catholic uh, faith. For example, Democrats have been, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm very new to the political uh, uh, landscape, environment landscape, um, are more uh, friendly to migrants, right? So people that have an irregular uh, circumstance being in the US, they can do better so to speak, they, they benefit from certain laws that could be seen not as uh, the Republicans are not as friendly with migration, for example, and and that can lead people to over uh, to not have sight over uh, what is like the one no negotiable that is at the top of all others going to be life, and and some people don't see that way because it's like what the government is going to do. What they're proposing is benefiting me directly. I'm going to go with that because that does me the best, serves me the best. Have you seen that in, in your experience? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what happens is that, you know, politics from a non-religious perspective mm-hmm. is about what does the majority say? Right. Majority rules. And that's the, that's the democracy, the system of democracy that we live in. And so then what we don't do as Catholics is we don't understand the process of creating a majority or influencing mm-hmm. the majority. Mm-hmm. And so then what you have is 
uh, right now in the country, you have equally, you know, those who believe in God, those who don't believe in God, or those who want a United States, a public U in the U.S. that doesn't have God in the conversation or at the forefront. And then you have that that does want God in the forefront and in the conversation. So you have these right. two competitive, competing views. And then you got this huge block of Latinos, primarily Mexicanos, who are influenceable. And how yeah. they go, goes the country for the next 50 to 75 years. If And that's why sorry, you have equal... 50 right? to 70 years, you said? Next 50 to 75 years, it will be determined how Latinos go. Because wow. if, if you think about it, is to undo... For example, I'll take the Roe v. Wade because we talked about that. To mm -hmm. undo that took 50 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so politics has a lifespan. Of when you do, when you take an action in the public arena, it 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 takes approximately two generations, 40 mm -hmm. to 50 years. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. as Latinos, you have one since uh, I think 1995. You have a million Latino voters entering the the voting block every year. One million new voters who are Latinos since 1995. Wow. Right. And it will continue that way till about uh, almost 2030. Okay. Now, that's the majority. Now, how do you influence that group? And and so you go to, you, you take, your, put yourself in that situation. On one hand, you have one party that says, hey, you know, you guys are bad at, you know, we got to the border, you know, we got to build higher walls, all this, because you guys are really yeah. bad for society. And you go like, man, this is really offensive. I don't like that party. Yeah. And the other party says, man, you know, I'm with you. No walls. You know, that's immigration reform. will get you. Everybody gets their, their Mika. You know, everybody gets yeah. that. <laughs> and we're promised the residency for everybody's citizenship. Don't worry, man, you know. Oh, uh, by the way, though, but, you know, you have to accept our definition of life and you have to accept our definition of what marriage is mm -hmm. uh, and then what can be taught in schools. You're like, well, that's a compromise. Well, and, and you're doing it to, a, to a, a culture that is very family oriented and that are guided by their moral values. You know, so that's the other thing. Uh, when you were saying that shift 50 to 75 years, I truly believe it. You know, I'm, I'm sure you have data on that to back that up, Armando. But we as Mexicans and Catholic Mexicans, I think we're we're having children. We're having more kids and we keep having more kids, you know, so it's a generational thing. So that is completely true. And, and I believe that when you say that as the Latino vote goes, the country goes, Do you think that has that has something to do with it? The fact that we are more family oriented and then by having actually more having kids, kids, you know, that can carry on those uh, moral values, the tradition, the 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 all, all the stuff that that we brought essentially from from our native culture. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because Unidos, uh, what used to be. Uh, was with La Raza and. Okay. Um, And 
they did this polling here in Arizona, and they said that a high, really high number, I think it was 67, almost 70% of Latinos, maybe it was 80, even 80%. Mm-hmm. They had a press conference on it and said that vast majority of Latinos, Mexicans, supported abortion. And, you know, it was, it was in the newspaper, and they went kind of back and forth, and they said, well, but then they kind of watered it down. And uh, I think you find that in most of our circles, I, you know, that's not true. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting, but you but then you look at Arizona. Okay. Democrats, Republicans, almost the same number, and then you have independents, almost the same number, equal number. It's like one third, one third Republican, one third independents, one third Democrats, in uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Arizona could be Republican or Democrat. It's what's called a purple state. And it's not uh, it's not blue, Democrat. It's not red, Republican. It's purple. And so then that persuadable group will determine if it's Republican or Democrat. Hmm. And Latinos are that persuadable group. But hmm. where do we get our formation on politics, on voting? Who influences us the most? Well, media, right? And and the culture itself, I would say. It's the parties. I don't know how to answer it. The it's parties. the parties. Because they see the numbers. And they analyze the numbers. And they, there's very smart people with a lot of money. And they sit there and go, Republicans, their group, going like, man, we got to get, we got to influence this group so that they vote with us. And they got Democrats saying, man, we got to yeah. influence this group so that they vote with us. And they both are going after us. And then, you know, as Catholics, we don't have any catechesis about how to form the the voter, about how to form the Catholic and the public square, about what is right and what is wrong, mm-hmm. what is holy, what is not holy. Hmm. So that brings me to that particular question, you know, it's like, how how do Catholics need to prepare themselves themselves when they're going to cast a vote? You know, obviously they need to, we need to take into account our faith when going to the voting box. But what would you say is part of that discernment that that um, education? You know, the process. What what does that look like for a Catholic voter? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that the most effective way is a good catechesis for young people. And when I'll, I'll give you an example, I'm in South Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We have uh, our Catholic elementary school that's here, and it serves about 200, 225 kids. About five years ago, we did this demographic analysis we found that there was about 7,000 children under the age of 13, 7,000 Hispanic children who are very much um, Catholic, come from solid Catholic homes. Now, if you extrapolate that and you look at a legislative district, a legislative district has about 225,000 people. 
There's 30 districts in Arizona. So our district that's in South Phoenix, we have about 22,000 kids under 13 who come from really solid Catholic households. You got one Catholic grade school that can serve 200. What happens to those other 21,800 kids who come from Catholic homes? They're going to public school. uh, And then good luck by the time, you know, they're 15 or 16. Yeah. And so then you see... Okay, what are we doing? You see, you see the enormity of the issue. And so then, okay, assume that there's a good catechesis. We get to parents and parents are able to form their children in the home. Uh, they're the first teachers and they, they're able to say, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what sin is. This is what sin is not. This is what holy, the purpose is to be holy. And this is what holiness is. So assume that that is occurring. Now, at that point, you go. To, your kids go on to college. Uh, Doctor uh, Osman uh, from Boston College. He's the premier professor on you know Latin uh, Latino demographics on in the United States. He says that forty percent of Latinos leave the church by the time mm-hmm. they get to twenty five. He said among Anglos, it's 75%. 75% young people are leaving the, the, the church at, by the uh, by 25. age 25. Now, the, what's holding the church together is the fact that Latinos are not leaving the church. Hmm. So or then, the lesser rate, 40%. Lesser, lesser, lesser rate. So now you see all these kids in elementary we're not getting to. And then we see, even those we do get to, 40% are gone after age 25. And then how do we influence the majority? How do we influence a world in the world of politics when we're not catechizing, when we're not evangelizing? So how do we vote? And, you know, I think it's, first of all, be active. Evangelize and catechize. Don't wait just for election year. Be familiar with the issues and always in your home. Mm-hmm. Evangelize and catechize. Teach about the faith and then also spread the faith. And don't be ashamed to do that. That's the public square. First in your household. Do that and do it all year long. And then secondly, teach, uh, our, our, teach discernment. And discernment is the ability to pray and to seek truth discernment is about studying studying the the candidates studying their positions studying what are the propositions that are on the ballots and that's a good discernment you want i one technique that i use is i go i take this extreme mm-hmm. and i go like you can say abortion is good Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> but that's an extreme, isn't it? Yeah. And then you can go to the other extreme goes, abortion is bad. And then you look at the, the arguments and you try to hone the arguments. And as you move forward ahead, you bounce the extremes from one end to the other up to the point that you come to a final decision. 
And if you do that, you've done a real, a full fleshing out of the issue. And I'm just taking abortion as one. Maybe you take another one. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Marriage Equality Act. Is it good? Is it, is it right? Is it wrong? And then you bounce the issues. And that's why, Walter, you got to take the heat, you know, from your friends. Yeah. When they're, they're because what you're doing is you're discerning. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, in the fire, but you're discerning. But you're going to come to a conclusion. And the more fire, the better the conclusion, the more uh, intellectually solid your decision or your final outcome discernment is going to be. And so then evangelize and catechize in your home. Secondly, inform yourself and pray and discern. Start the discerning process. And discernment is honing the conscience. I was like that uh, in Proverbs, there's a saying that says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man uh, form another, yeah. sharpen another. And so then it's that discernment, that prayer, that challenge of the world against us so that we come to this final conclusion. And when we do that, you'll be absolutely solid in the decision that you've made. Mm. I like that. It's like making steel man arguments for what you are defending um, when it, when it comes to the faith. Um, I like what you said about the non-negotiables too. I think that that's a good combination of, uh, of tools. The, the, the four that you mentioned, plus uh, knowing the non-negotiables um, and yes, definitely knowing who is running who can you vote for? Um, just and I'm a Democrat, by the way. So it's like this really weird thing because it's, I'm, people okay. hit me up all the time, going like, "You're a Democrat," <laughs> and I and I am, but you know I'm in that public arena and I'm and I'm duking it out and I and I am challenged constantly. I always wear my cross, by the way. You know, I always wear my cross, and. And and it's not to you know brag about who I am, but it's to remind me who I am, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I get challenged all the time. It's like walking out into the gladiator gladiator arena and <laughs> yeah, knowing yeah. that you know you're gonna have somebody else come at you. That's okay. Okay, yeah. that made me think of another question. Um, so I haven't gone too deep into learning about. Catholic social teaching um, and all these other aspects that could be related uh, kind of in, in the same spectrum of what politics would be and what is the church point of view, church's point of view on that. But it is my impression that not everything that the Republican platform stands for aligns with church teaching and not everything that the Democrat uh, platform proposes is aligned with Catholic teaching. There's like a, there's some, some things that align with Catholic teaching in the Republican platform and some things in the Democrat platform that align with Catholic teaching. So how do you discern (laughs) whether, because it's a two party system, right? Mexico is like a multi-party system. So that was one of the first things that I had to navigate, um, well, now that is the first time that I'm going to vote as to there is not a black or white uh, differentiation in as to 
this is the Catholic party or, or yeah, the other. No, there's not. Essentially, is there is there such a thing as the lesser of two evils? Is it? Huh. Is there? Well, I, I, you know, I think, first of all, I'm a Catholic first and then I'm, a, you know, I'm a grand, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a grandfather. Those are my identities. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, down in the list is I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think, Walter, what you said is it's important for us to understand the political system. And in, in the political system, I'll give you this little diagram here. I don't know if it shows it or not. Do you see that bell-shaped curve? Yep. Yep. In that bell-shaped curve, this is politics in the United States. And the whole idea is it's 51%. Here mm-hmm. it's winner, you know, majority rules. So it's 51%. Whatever they decide on the issue, that's the law. Right. Okay. Now, how do you get to the 51%? Here we have what are called primary races. And in the primary races, those who are on one end of the of the bell-shaped curve, mm-hmm. they, you know, Republicans will be on one side, Democrats on the other. And so Republicans run against each other here. And what you have is when you you have a tendency for the for the winner to move in these extreme positions over here. Mm. And you have to. If there's five candidates in here. All you have to do is win 51% of 51, 50%. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is win 26% of the vote. And if there's five candidates, all you got to do is win like 12% of the vote. And mm-hmm. what do you? how do you get 12%? Usually you go to the extreme. Um... Whoever talks the most extreme usually wins, either, <laughs> whether it's Republican or whether it's Democrat. And then the, the it's said that the general, which we're now going to go to, that the candidate who moves quickest to the center in their messaging usually wins. Hmm. And that's what, and that's what you see is that you see, you know, the candidates now quickly trying to move to the center. And then that's where you try to go like, what do they really stand for? Mm -hmm. Because they were saying something before in the primary. Now they're saying something different in the general. Mm -hmm. And that's where the discernment comes in. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and I think it's. I mean, there's there's several ways that that you can look at it. That is like, well, do you really want the other side to gain more ground? Because what are they gonna do with that power when they have it? You know what I mean? And and maybe that's the bat mentality. It's a bad mentality to have, but I think that's the reality right now of of the political landscape. We we both think that either party is going to grab the power and they're going to do bad things with it relative to where you stand on whatever issue. Right. Maybe Democrats don't want Republicans in power because they think they're going to extinguish abortion, which would be a phenomenal thing, by the way. Right. So it's it's like you said, it's it's a game of extremes, but then it's about how. Is is there a lesser of two evils, like I was saying? Because it's like, well, I'm going to vote for this guy because that guy's much worse. <laughs> you know, it goes back to scripture saying, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> you know? Uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think what happens is that we have to, uh, we have to negotiate in this world. Uh, we have to negotiate in the 
in the world, in the public arena. And as mm-hmm. we negotiate through there, it is, I'm a Catholic. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Catholic. What is what does the faith say? Mm-hmm. And what is what is the bishop teaching me? Mm-hmm. You know, and within that, what we're going to realize is that there's an incredible opportunity to influence society. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we're that vote that can tip the balance one way or the other. And I don't think, you know, I don't think we should be partisan. I don't think we should fall in love with the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. We should fall in love with our faith. And then that will guide us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'll find ourselves with Republicans. And sometimes we'll find ourselves with Democrats. But always find ourselves as a Catholic, living the faith in the public arena. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well said. I don't know if we're going to get any better than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, any closing comments, Armando, that, that we haven't covered that you would tell the people that are listening coming up to um, November 8th? I think just get involved, work with young people, find seven to 12 young people and catechize them and evangelize them. Be a mentor to seven to 12 young people who are under the age of uh, 35. Mm. Nice. Nice. That's, that's a good, that's well, a good take that uh, to heart. challenge. Yep. For sure. Well, Armando, thank you so much for your time. This has been a very, very interesting conversation. Um, where uh, it, are you on on social media? Where can people find you if they want to uh, hear more about what you do? What you mentioned your your mission um, that you're working on. Plug that in so people know about it. Yeah, you know we work working on. I belong to a group called Missionaries of Mary, and we've been working on this project called Guadalupe Project. And it's a mm-hmm. ten year in in ten years we're going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the apparition. La Virgen Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. what we're working on is getting more people back to Mass uh, and teaching them about the Mass, about the Eucharist, and the need for that. And uh, that that's really working with families, working with prayer groups, parishes, anybody who, you know, who who's interested. And uh, that's really where the, the bulk of my work is at. Nice. That's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Guadalupe Project. Guadalupe Project. We'll put a link on, on the show notes uh, for that. Um, well, once again, thank you so much for your time. For everybody else at home, go to direct.me forward slash Barbatos to know more about the podcast. And uh, we will see you next week. Bless us, Alanis Casey. Pray, Pray for, for us. us. Until the next time.